0: We are not a, a liturgical church, we're, we don't follow liturgies, uh, uh, or it, we don't go by a calendar like some churches do. I'm not knocking that, that's just, we're not, that, that's not who we are. That's, it's, I can guarantee you that's not who I am. But, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I wanted us just to, to consider that today. I wanted us to consider... Uh, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the day uh, that we celebrate or commemorate God fulfilling the prophecy by Joel of pouring out his spirit on all flesh. You can put that up, Aiden. Is it Aiden back there? Oh, one more time. Got an 11-year-old running my PowerPoint. There we go. Yay, Aiden. Aiden. Uh, it, we, we remember, we remember this day that, that God fulfilled that prophecy of Joel and poured out his spirit. Uh, and it says he poured out his spirit on all flesh. All flesh, it has a day. You have a day. I have a day. Or days of empowerment towards seeing the fulfillment of the mission that Jesus began. God didn't just pour out his spirit to make us feel good, although we do feel good when we're full of the Holy Spirit. But he poured out his spirit to empower us for the mission that Jesus began while he was walking the earth in the flesh. And when he went back, he left that with us. We'll get back to that. And so what we're doing, we're attempting to work the mission, or let me say it this way, attempting to work the mission without the enabling work of the holy spirit it always leads to frustration because it can't be done and you and i as human beings we tend to slip into that all too often especially if we're gifted if you have a gift you have a tendency to rely completely on that gift and i don't care what gift you have you still you you need the the work of the Holy Spirit to operate in that gift because you will begin to lean on that gift minus the Holy Spirit if you don't watch it. And for a while, everything will seem great because you got a gift, but in a little while, it leads to frustration. So we have to be committed to enabling the work. And the power of God's spirit to work through us regardless of whether we're operating through a gift or not. And we got to be careful of that. Now, I'd like for you to turn, if you haven't already, to Luke 24, 44. And we're going to read some more after a while, but not much. But I want to read these verses. And I'll ask you to stand while we read the scriptures for the first time. And I'm reading again from the English Standard Version, which says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Watch this verse. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Let that be our prayer today, that God would open our minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. You can be seated. Now, if you, if you follow Jesus out as far as Bethany, and you watch him rise up off the ground... And we'll read in a moment that Luke tells us in Acts that there was a cloud of witnesses, or cloud, I think it's a cloud of witnesses, went with him. That'll cause you to want to be in the temple continually. Maybe we need to get some people's attention today. I don't mean just to be in a building continually. This is, this is Luke, and we'll read a little bit in Acts in just a minute, and, and, of course, Luke wrote them both. But this is just a little bit of the account of the enabling of the Spirit, Jesus has spent 33 and a half years with these guys and establishing a mission and, in, and teaching them and leading them and exampling for them. And now he says to them, "The I'm going to send the promise of the Father. And of course, we know that promise is uh, written in Joel chapter 2. Uh, John the Baptist said of Jesus, he said, I'll baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with holy, with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's a promise from John the Baptist that Jesus upon leaving the earth and ascending back to heaven, Uh, that he would send the Comforter, which, of course, the Gospel of John gives us several, three chapters at least, on the Comforter coming to assist us. And so Luke is writing this to somebody named Theophilus. Now, if you know who Theophilus is, you know way more than I do, and way more than most Bible scholars that I read. Nobody really knows who Theophilus is, but Luke is writing his gospel to him. Some and some believe that Acts and Luke are, are kind of almost the same book, part one, part two, because it's the same author. But in Acts chapter one, uh we we find these words which are very similar to um, uh, Luke twenty-four. It says in in Luke is writing, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus all say all. And that's a tall order. All. That Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking. What was his topic about the kingdom of God? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father. How many of us go ahead and try to do what we think God wants us to do without waiting for the promise of the Father? Oh, me. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They go back to last week. We always want to know when is this going to happen? He said to them, Nunya. Oh, that's not what it says here. <laughs> he said "He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Going back to last week's message, the Father is not confused about when the, the end of the age will be. It's fixed. Everybody say fixed. See, that's permanent. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. And I know I've got verse 8. Let's just go on through verse 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we have these two same account of two uh, of the same uh, two accounts of the same thing by Luke in, in uh, seeing Jesus telling his disciples what to do, and then he ascends. My own personal belief it says he was uh, he was. Uh, um, it's bad when you got to have glasses to see. He was lifted up in a cloud. In my own personal opinion, that's the great cloud of witnesses that are identified in Hebrews 12 that went up with them. Because remember, after he he died and was was resurrected, that we saw the saints of the Old Testament walking around the streets of Jerusalem. They walked out of their tombs, and they were walking around Jerusalem anyway. That's neither here nor there. So what we want to talk about just for a moment is the mission. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Y'all probably saying good because that's all you ever talk about. But I want to just hit just quickly the mission because if we don't understand the mission, we don't know what we're empowered for. And we don't understand why we need to be empowered. And the mission is is very simple and, and it's in these words, go and make disciples go and make disciples that's some uh, Derek Prince said one time that in the military he learned and I've heard, I know I've heard other people say this that one of the things you learn is that you do the last thing you were told to do until you find something somebody tells you something new to do and you keep doing the last order that you had and Derek said the last order we received from Jesus on the earth was to go and make disciples that has never changed that's our mission that's what we're that's what we're after our problem is, in, in the world, and 2 Corinthians 4 tells us this, and that is, and I wrote it down, the God of the age, we you know who that is, the God of the age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age has blinded. That's a dynamic. There's something supernatural going on when the God of this age, the devil, Satan, has blinded the minds of those so that they would not believe. Here's our problem. You and I are natural beings. I can cut you. You'll bleed. We're natural beings. We're full of a supernatural Holy Spirit. And that's the, that's the key to the mission. The God of the age has blinded them. And also we're told in Colossians 1 that when we come to Christ through the grace of God, that we are transferred out of darkness into light. Now you can't do that by just joining a church. You can't do that by moving your letter of membership. You can't can't do that by making some intellectual or mental assent to the gospel. Something has to take place that is supernatural. Only the supernatural can move a person from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. You can't can't do that through education. And I'm I'm for all these things. But none of that happens without something supernatural taking place. If Ephesians 2 teaches us that we once were dead, but now we've been made alive together with Christ, that can only happen from a supernatural experience. Now, I don't know about you. If I stopped right there, I'd think, well, okay. That leaves me out. What am I going to do about that? Well, it even gets worse. Jesus told his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Okay. Where do we, where do we sign up for that? Except for the fact there has to be some supernatural intervention. And you and I can be and are endued with power from God to exercise the supernatural. You say, well, I, I don't know about me. Well, we'll see if we can do something about that. <laughs> and so he tells them, go to the upper room. It's, 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 uh, we're going to real briefly just run through this, but the upper room is important because uh, we learned there that obedience to the Lord is a prerequisite to ushering in the move of God. You're never going to see God move if you're not going to obey God. Now, I know that sounds profound, but it's not. It's just a very simple thing. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem and, rec- and expect power. And that's all he told them. He didn't tell them what was going to happen. He didn't tell them when it was going to happen. So these folks walked. After he ascended, these folks walked about three-quarters of a mile to the upper room. 120 of them got in the upper room. I've often wondered why there wasn't more, but that's another topic for another day. But they walked to the upper room, and they waited. (laughs) How many of you pat your foot in front of the microwave oven? You know you do. Man, that's the longest 15 seconds of my life. You just do it. We all do it. And they went to the upper room knowing that Jesus said, you go, you wait, you'll get power. And that's all they knew. So there's what are they going to do? Well, for one thing, they were obedient. They walked the three quarters of a mile, went into the upper room, and began to wait. Isaiah tells us, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. You can get a long way, saints, by being obedient to God. You can go a long way by by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and responding. and then they were we're going to deal with this again, but it says they were in one accord and that was not a Honda. They was they were in come on now, wake up. They were in one accord. They were of the same mind and of the same purpose. That doesn't mean they they agreed on everything as long as uh, someone said uh, Churchill or someone says, as long as, if, if, uh, if you and I both agree on something, one of us is not needed. So, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with seeing things from a different perspective, but they had the same mind and the same purpose. Their end game was the same. They didn't even know what the end game was really except to be obedient to Jesus. And so they gathered in one accord of the same mind of the same purpose. And I want to just point out that is his purpose and his agenda. Not what we come up with, which we also have a real tendency to do. And then it says they didn't know what else to do, so they devoted themselves to prayer. Well, you know, we don't know when to expect this. We don't know what it's going to look like, but he told us to go and wait, and he's going to send us power. So let's pray. Let's engage with the source. Let's connect to the, to the source of whatever is coming. Oh, we don't know what it looks like, but we know who it's coming from. Let's pray. And they prayed in the upper room and engaged with God. And then there's this thing called, I call order in the court. And it's this, it deals with this. Judas had a legitimate place with the apostles. So yeah, but he, yeah, but he, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, but he, but Judas was chosen. Everybody say chosen by Jesus. He wasn't an accident. He didn't hire somebody, and the wrong guy showed up. Judas was picked out by Jesus to be one of his 12. And, of course, we know the story. The Scripture must be fulfilled. And it says in Acts one twenty: For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp, Judas, become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and then let another take his office. And uh, this is pointed out in Acts 1 that this is referring to Judas. Let another take his office. So Judas has this legitimate place with the apostles. He forfeits that place when he betrays Jesus and hangs himself. And so the scripture must be fulfilled that one would take his office. And so they draw lots. And they select Matthias to be the, the 12th disciple, the 12th apostle. And one of the things we have to understand is that agreement... In alignment with God and his word precedes, everybody say precedes, the move of God. If you want God to move, get in agreement with God. And don't ask God to get in agreement with you. Say, well, God, here's what I want it to look like. Here's what I want to do, God. Bless this, God. Now, I want to pray your blessing upon this. And God says, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I have nothing to do with that. Now, let's go over here and look at what I have something to do with. Now, here's what I want. Now, get in agreement with me and get aligned with me and you'll see some stuff. That's probably not what he said, but he wasn't raised in the South like like I was. And so we, we, we see Matthias. It's interesting that Matthias was little known. Matthias was a, as a matter of fact, Nothing else is said about Matthias, in particular the rest of the Bible. There's one place in Acts 6, I think, where it talks about the 12, and so he's numbered in that 12, but he's not named ever again. Why, why was it important to get Matthias into that number of 12? Because there has to be order. There has to be order. And so they understood. Peter understood. They, we got to do something about the vacancy. And so they filled the vacancy with Matthias. And God blessed them. And then the day of Pentecost arrived. They're still praying. They're still they're they're anointing Matthias. They're still praying. And we call that the Shavat, the Feast of Weeks, which was a celebration uh that Israel took part in for all through the old covenant, old testament. It's a joyous time that they celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. They're celebrating, hey, we, we're we're seeing the harvest, and let's thank God. Let's have a celebration and thank God for the first fruits of the harvest that are coming in. It's also believed by most of the Jewish culture, it's believed to be the date that God gave the Torah, gave the law uh, back in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, most Most of the Jewish people believe that. And then we see these words again, in one accord. They were in one accord and praying, and they continued to be in one accord. And the Bible says that as they were in one accord, actually, by the way, the word there for in one accord means harmony leading to action. Harmony leading to action. So it's not good enough just to be in one accord. That's fine and dandy, and that that, uh, eliminates a lot of, uh, of disagreements and arguments. But when, are we in one accord that causes us to be in harmony? By the way, you know, especially you musicians and singers know, harmony is not the same notes, but they're notes that complement one another. Now, when someone sings the wrong note, like Barney Fife, you know it. Your body, especially those who have some music in, your body feels. You know, sometimes we'd be watching TV and somebody'd be singing or somebody'd be playing a guitar, and there'd be one of their strings would be out of tune, and I go, "Oh," because it's just like something hit me. Harmony are the different notes that sound good together. Unison's good, harmony's better, but that harmony leads to action. It puts something on our feet. The Bible says, "Suddenly, while they're in one accord, suddenly." Can I tell you that most of the time when God moves in your life, it's suddenly. Most of the time when God moves upon you and you sense the power of his Holy Spirit, you sense the direction of his Holy Spirit, most of the time it's suddenly. You don't see, you're not prepared for it. You don't see signs. Be prepared for your suddenly. How, you, how can you be prepared for your suddenly? That is to be diligent with what you know to do now. Be diligent with what your hand has been put to right now. And then expect somewhere you're suddenly. Well, they're suddenly arrived in that room, in that upper room that day during the feast of Shavat, It's a feast of weeks. And they, as they prayed, they came, they heard a sound. And here's the key from heaven. Sound from heaven. And it says, like a mighty rushing wind. Everybody say like. It's like a roar of a multitude. They began to hear in this room of just hundred and twenty people. They began to hear this sound. This blowing of wind. This roar of a multitude. But I submit to you today. That there was no wind in that room that day. It was not a wind. But it was like the sound of wind. It was like a mighty rushing wind. Suggesting. God's mighty unseen power. Suggesting that God moves through you and moves through me and moves through a group of people with his unseen power like a mighty rushing wind. They heard a noise. Revelation says, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters And as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Anybody who is nervous about noise in church is not going to like heaven very much. Anybody who's nervous about loud singing and loud people saying amen and hallelujah and those things, they're not going to like heaven very much. This sound... The Bible says this sound that sounded like a mighty rushing wind. It sounded like a roar of multitudes. This sound, it says, filled the whole house. The sound filled the whole house. It was, it was every corner of that room they heard this sound. And they who knows? They didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand. Let me just say this. So many times when we think about God moving in our midst and we're praying, so so many times we get scared what God's going to do next. And one of the reasons we get scared about what God's going to do next is we're not in control. He's in control. Well, then the next thing that happens while they're praying and the sound of this wind comes through, then he says they saw tongues of fire, and now we make everybody nervous. tongues of fire. And the verse says in the Amplified it says, there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which, which were separated and distributed and which settled on each one of them. Each one, did say each one of them? Everyone, everybody, everybody there. Tongues of fire. They saw these, these, these flames, what looked like fire on them. And it, it was, some versions say it was, they were divided, but they were not divided in the sense of having arguments, divided in the sense of, of separating out and sharing. And upon each person, every one of the 120, they saw tongues of fire resting on these folks in that moment. Now, it says they were all filled. Now, you know, you've heard me say dozens of times that if you do a Greek word study on the word all and the Greek word for all, you'll find out that the definition for that word is all. Very simple. They were all filled and they began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance or vocabulary. Now, I don't know what it is. I know some of it, but but what it is when we start talking about tongues, everybody gets nervous. Go, Ooh! I had a, a lady in the it was part of the one of the homeschool tutorials, not Schaefer, but another one. One day she we were back there in the copy room and she said, "Well, what kind of church y'all got here? We, we're looking for a new church. We're looking to come to a. You know, we're not happy where we are." And of course, I always worry about when people tell me that because <laughs> they're not happy where they are. they I won't be happy here, if they're not happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> But I said, well, you know, I I made a mistake. Here's what I told her. I said, well, my my, my theology, our theology is that of charismatic. We're a charismatic church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I don't want anything to do with any of that. (laughs) Well, you've never been to our church. How do you know what that means? Well, you know what she thought. She thought people running up and down aisles, waving flags and, and, you know, jumping, jumping the pews and, and whatever else she thought. Immediately she got this stereotypical idea in her mind. Of course they didn't come here. Probably a good thing, but they didn't come here because she was, she had a preconceived notion of what that meant. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about, uh, this, this gift. Uh, some time ago, I did a series on the gifts of the spirit. There's at least one, maybe three sets of CDs out there that you can get and listen to. And if you're impatient, the last CD deals with this, but they began to speak in other tongues. Now, I, I real briefly, I dealt with it in that series. We need to distinguish between what we would what we would label the gift of tongues, that is 1 Corinthians 12, when we would see a moment or a time to exercise the gift of tongues. And of course, Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 14 that there needs to be interpreter. But I want to distinguish between that and what we were going to call the prayer language. Praying in the Spirit. And Romans says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Jude, the brother of our Lord Jesus, writes, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And even clearer, the Apostle Paul writes these words. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with my spirit, the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding, which means that when we're praying in the spirit, we don't have mental or intellectual understanding. And then he says, I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. So the gift that I want you and I to concentrate on, I'm not not opposed to the, the, the one in 1 Corinthians 12 being exercised either, but I'm more convinced that the prayer language is for every believer. Every believer. The other gift, I'm not so sure that it, you know, is there their times and places, but the, the, this gift. And so they began to pray in the Spirit. And interestingly enough, as they did, people around them began to hear in their own native tongue people talking who did not know their language. And I've heard of this happening. I've heard of people being in church services. Someone get up and pray in the Spirit. Someone started crying over here. And they afterwards, they said, well, how did she know? How did he know? How? And they said, what? How did he, he said exactly what's going on with me in my native tongue. He doesn't know how to speak that. He, she doesn't. I've heard of that happening. But I want you to see this verse real clear. Acts 2.39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all, everybody say all, Now, we know what the definition of that is. For all who are far off, watch this last line, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, James has already told us about that. James Owen, not brother of James. We're called and wooed by the Holy Spirit. So as many as are called, this gift is for you. And I'm tired of people saying, well, you know, they're special. Let me just tell you, the people who pray in the Spirit are not necessarily special people. They're not necessarily more spiritual people. Not at all. Prayer language is fair by Paul. said, I pray in the Spirit, I pray in the understanding. What was he telling us? Both are important. Both are very important. And so this, this is what we see as a result of... Of the Holy Spirit being poured out on them that day and all kind of things happening. And I want to deal to, to finish this message out with the effect of the Holy Spirit. And when it said that He poured out the Spirit, the wording there means that He poured out more than they needed. And if you'll ask God to pour out His Spirit on you and fill you up, if you'll ask Him to do that, He will give you more than you need. He won't give you just what you need. He'll give you more than you need. One of the effects we see is that they had the ability, which they didn't have before, to speak forth the word of God. What happens when the Holy Spirit shows up? We have the ability to speak forth the word of God. By the way, Acts eight: you will see power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word power is dunamis, which means ability. Holy Spirit, God's supernatural ability. Now, I know we've had people for years telling us to compare it to dynamite because it's dunamis dynamite. And people say, well, I don't know if I want to be blown up or not. I just want to be, have the ability. Speaking forth. It says we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And then it says Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. We'll come back to Peter in a minute. And then it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this, by the way, this is after the day of Pentecost. Somebody said, do you believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit as a second experience? Absolutely I do. And a third experience and a fourth experience and a tenth and a hundredth and a thousandth. Why? Everybody tell? We leak. We leak. We, we need to be the, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just he you had one time experience and I got a badge. It worked not work that way. So this was, a, this was after the day of Pentecost, same bunch of people, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what, what happened? They leaked too. They spoke. Another thing happens is dreams, visions, and prophecies. It says Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he began to prophesy, Zechariah being John the Baptist's father. There's a connection made by the Holy Spirit to the supernatural when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch this one. This is great. Another thing that happens when the Holy Spirit shows up is we get a new personality and perspective sometimes. Uh, supposed to anyway. You see what you couldn't see before when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. First time or the thousandth time, you, f- you see what you couldn't see before. Consider Peter. Consider Peter who is impetuous, who runs his mouth too much, who, who's uh, cussing, cursing at Jesus' trial because he doesn't want to be identified with him, who sliced off the ear of one of the servants because he missed, who confronted Jesus and said, not on my watch. It's not going to happen on my watch. I'm not going to let you do it. And Jesus said in these great spiritual words, get thee behind me, Satan. This is Peter. And yet when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the power of God has encompassed him, he stands up. And as Brother Charles Simpson likes to say, he was the main speaker at the conference on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people came to Christ. Why? Because he suddenly became or gained the ability to speak clearly and succinctly. And when you read that sermon in Acts that he gave them uh, my goodness, where was that Peter before? I'll tell you where he was. He was pre-filling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit changed his personality a little bit. Now he had, still, he still had some issues because he was still a human being, but he changed. And then another thing that happened is, is uh, even uh, from self-centered to others occupied. It's not just Peter, but the disciples. Their whole time of walking with Jesus, who were they interested in? Themselves. They were jockeying for position. And then we find them in Acts having all things in common. From jockeying for position to having all things in in common. What's the difference? Filling of the Holy Spirit. James and John, they, they sent their mother to talk to Jesus because they wanted to sit at his right hand. Jesus said, well, they won't suffer what I'm going to suffer. They, they maybe can. Of course, I, nothing's really recorded, but I think they said, never mind, Mom. We're done. We're good. We're good, Mom. Leave, leave me alone. But when James and John did that, the Scripture says the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, and they were indignant. Why were they indignant? They wanted to sit at his right hand. Now, as a matter of fact, Mark tells us they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Now here's his twelve disciples. Everybody looks at they man, these are so godly, pious, special people, spiritual people. Nope. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Judas is counting the money, wishing there was more. I mean this Peter slicing off ears. I mean this is by the way, Peter brought a sword to the prayer meeting. Did you find that kinda odd? So this is the group that Jesus is dealing with. And the worst part about it is he chose them. Nobody pushed them off on him. But here they are. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And and mad at James and John for even bringing it up. Vocalizing what they wanted. Day of Pentecost comes. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, look at this. Now the number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. There was not, but they had everything in common, and there was not a needy person among them. From who's the greatest, I'm, I want to be the greatest, to what, what belongs to me belongs to you. You need. You need a hamburger? I got a hamburger. You need a shirt? I got a shirt. You need your yard boat? I mow your yard. What happened? Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We walk around in flesh, in the flesh, with the, with the uh, carnality dripping off of us. And we're, we get back into who's the greatest. I want to be the greatest. I want to be the most famous. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. We're no longer jockeying for position. But we're concerned about that other person. Or a group of people. You say, well, I thought when the Holy Spirit showed up, the only thing happened. Everybody started talking in funny languages. See? Gotta read the Bible every now and then. Here's a, here's one you probably never thought of. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is an increased ability in vocation. Now, I'm not gonna take time for everybody to turn. But listen to this. Oh, I got it right here. Shoot, I forgot I put him in my notes. Exodus chapter thirty-one. Look, I have appointed go ahead and put that up, Aiden, or do I have it? Do I have it? Oop, there it is. I'm gonna make that a song. Look (laughs) I have appointed my name, by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, I don't know if that's Ben's dad or not, but of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit. So you think the Holy Spirit is only in the New Testament. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze to cut gemstones for mounting and to carve wood for work in every craft. What a novel idea that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's an increase in our ability to exercise our vocation. In the case of this guy, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he could work with all of these these things to create things. What this is, is God fitting a person for a task that serves and benefits the well-being of other people even through a vocation and you know you've heard me say we need to we need to get rid of this notion that we've all got to be preachers and and Sunday school teachers and evangelists and all that stuff to be able to do any good so the people who do the most good are the ones who are exercising their vocation through the work of the holy spirit be the best plumber you can be pull your pants up but be the best plumber you can be emphasizing our ability and our intelligence and our knowledge and our craftsmanship. Of course, we just pointed out that when the Holy Spirit shows up, we're enabled or empowered to be his witnesses, to be his witnesses, to be those who can walk around carrying with us the good news of the kingdom of God. And finally, what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up is that souls are added Souls are added. Uh, Acts 2.21 simply says, and it, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. Now, you can argue about who who calls and how you call, and if everybody calls, I don't care about all that. Everyone, you know, I'm with Charles Finney. Lord, bring in all the elect, and when you get that done, elect some more. Whoever, whoever call, it calls. That's always, by the way, the ultimate goal of any action by God. And that is that the harvest of souls. I mean, again, during communion, you just heard, seek and save that which is lost, that one that is lost. And leave the 99 and go for the one, how important that is. And you and I have been left here on earth by the Lord Jesus. He is, He has ascended to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for you and He's making intercession for me. And He sent His Holy Spirit to be poured out upon all flesh to empower all flesh and especially those, all of us who've come, who have come to come to know Him through relationship. Those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and in so doing, we have been filled with the supernatural power of God to affect a supernatural mission. That's God's goal. All the other stuff is fun. All the other stuff is extremely important. And, and you know the you know the healing of the sick and the raising of the dead and the cleansing of the lepers that's that is not his main goal. And as we sometimes we think that's his that's his end game. That's a means to his game. Because when you start seeing people healed and delivered, then you can see people have the ability to come to Christ. Not only that, but then they can exercise their gift. No longer have limitations. So whether you like it or not, if you're breathing the breath of Jesus Christ today, and if you're breathing the Holy Spirit, and His DNA is part of the fabric of your being, whether you like it or not, you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. Now you may be uh, you may be a wall, or you may be in the secret service of the Kingdom of God. There's no secret service, by the way, but you are part of His army. I am part of his army. Do we have to have this magnanimous huge thing going on? Nope. There's a magazine out there that says one to one and right under it it says one person extending the kingdom of God one person at a time. That's all we got to worry about.